Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Allison Glennie, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working for the Baptist Union as their public issues enabler, part of the joint public issues team. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political or preaching landscape and today I'm very pleased to introduce the Reverend Steve Chalk, founder of Oasis and a Baptist minister. Hi, good morning. Morning, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, politics in the pulpit, it's a, it's a provocative question really and I wonder a little bit what that might mean for you and your context and how you've come to be here well actually e even the title beth is an interesting thing isn't it politics in the pulpit i think it's a great title because it rhymes you know it's two, uh, two, two p's in there politics and uh, the pulpit but um the reality is you know the introduction of pulpits themselves uh were um a sociological thing weren't they it was to it was to say this is the lecture hall this is where you will come and receive wisdom from on high and so there's all sorts of justice issues in there and all sorts of leadership issues in there but um uh, take it uh, you know we don't have a pulpit anymore i'm sure you haven't got one actually uh, but we've got this opportunity to talk about equality and inclusion and listening to one another um, so I think that this is fundamental to um, fundamental to the whole task of the church. In fact, it is the task of the church. Uh, you know, I'm sure I don't need to remind you or anyone else, but you know, this extra these extraordinary statements that the prophets make in the Old Testament. You know, I'm I'm not interested in your songs. Well, that's a bit shocking, isn't it, to a 21st century uh, Christian song industry? I'm not interested in your songs. What I'm looking for is justice. Away with your worship, in that sense, you know, <laughs> burn it. Let's do some justice. That seems to me to be the heart of the gospel. Mm. I was um, I was remembering as I was preparing this that um, your book came out when I was uh, recently a theology student. Um, called the lost message of Jesus Christ and and I think um, it was probably one of the first instances outside of a, a kind of classroom environment that I'd really encountered somebody um, doing that kind of I guess the sociological conversation around scripture as well like you were um, trying to say there's there's something in here I mean that's quite also quite you know we've got a provocative title here but provocative it's also a provocative title isn't it the lost message of Jesus Christ what do you think we're losing if we miss um, the kind of in that kind of unwrapping of, of kind of the social side of, of of what's going on in the gospels if that's the right way of putting it well, well i think i think Beth, that probably drives me back to you know my story because all all understanding comes out of context doesn't it out of a specific context so i'm i'm actually mixed race and um everybody always thinks i'm the color i am now because i've been on some mediterranean holiday or whatever but i haven't at all i just came out this way so i'm an anglo-indian and um uh, when i was born when i was born um back at, um in the mid 1950s um my father's black skin because he's uh, from south india and uh, my mum's um my mum's uh, from chatham um so very fair-skinned and their mixed marriage meant that half her family never spoke to her again 
Um, I remember as a child walking up streets and and people would literally, honestly, I could see them cross to the other side of the road because they saw my dad coming. I was the darkest colored skin uh, kid in our school. I'd now be the lightest colored uh, kid in that same school because L London's uh, 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 demographic has changed so much. But I grew up with that sense of exclusion because of race and the poverty that that brought to uh, to my uh, mum and dad and 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 to me and my siblings as a result so i think that this kind of justice thing became baked in my mum and dad were never angry i mean they were wonderful but i think it became baked into who i was so even on becoming a christian which i uh, which happened to me when i was 14 through south norwood baptist church uh, in South London, I just lived just up the road, started going to a youth club, even though the gospel I was taught at church through my youth group was, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you be if you've not said this prayer, say this prayer, this kind of eternal insurance policy, you know, it might be tough now, but you might have to listen to a whole load of sermons, but it'll pay off in the end. That was definitely the gospel that I received. <laughs> Um, I somehow knew, I don't know how, that it had to be more about that. And even the night when I decided that I wanted to follow Christ, um, I was walking past uh, Crystal Palace Football Ground, actually, because because um, South Norwood Baptist Church is in Holmesdale Road. It's at one end of the Palace Football Ground and I lived at the other end. So I was walking effectively up the side of the ground. And I remember thinking, if I'm going to follow Jesus, when I grow up, I'm going to set up a school that's worth going to. I went to a very poor school which was and that was all related to my parents poverty etc etc my dad's color um and and i'm going to set up a house for kids who are never cared for i had friends who weren't cared for and i'm going to set up some health care a hospital so all of this came on the same night i became a christian even though i realize now the message i was responding to didn't contain any of those elements at all yes. so I, I think that's why my stories became uh, important to this. And then I remember when I when I went to uh, theological college. Eventually, it was the it was the era of John Stott who was writing about contemporary issues relevant to Christians, and then Martin Lloyd Jones. Nobody will be able to remember this, saying that saying that um, uh, saying that all evangelicals should leave the Church of England. And yeah, I wasn't in the Church of England, but I watched this going. And the debate was between has the gospel got any justice? Is there anything social in this, or is it? all about the salvation of souls is it a spiritual message or a social message and the two camps were very divided you know those who were of the pure gospel the evangelicals of the time and those who were social liberals and it struck me that as you read the gospels the, the, the people used to argue over luke's gospel chapter four actually you know the spirit of the lord is on me says jesus he's in that he's uh, you know my task is to announce freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, etc. And people used to argue over whether this is spiritual good news for the spiritually poor or whether it's it's a much fuller bodied thing like that and throw insults at each other. And I always used to think, well, if you just read the rest of Luke's gospel, you'd work out that it's the whole thing for Jesus. It's the whole integrated, holistic, shalomic passage um, and content. But nobody ever seemed to do that. So I think that's where my Christianity was born. I remember when I um, when I re 
you know made their decision personally to follow Christ that for me it was also it had to be about the now it had to be about the now because heaven seemed like such a like a long way away in the kind of freedom that you are with a teenager thinking that death is something that happens you know yeah. to old people um but I kind of I think I remember thinking yeah but it, it's not just about what happens when I die it's about everything about how I live now and that was the bit the kind of the penny drop moment yeah um, yeah yeah and for me you see writing the lost message Jesus was so here's the thing I don't know if this makes any any sense to you but Oasis began to develop. I founded Oasis in 1985 and we began by housing young women who'd been abused. Uh, we're still doing the same project that set up. It was hard to set up, but we run it to this day in South London. It's a safe house for young women who've been abused and seen violence and they don't believe in themselves. They're broken. And um, and that's why we called Oasis Oasis. Actually, it's my wife's idea. She said this house should be called Oasis. Hence, we set up a charity called Oasis and it's grown out from there. But in all of this work, I more and more came up against the theology that I was taught at theological college, uh, which was still this, you know, you know, what will your eternal destiny be? And I was increasingly much more interested in, well, what's happening to people today, tonight, this week? And then I had this extraordinary experience at the beginning of Oasis. So I was already on this uh, pathway. But years and years ago, we used to run a project called Christmas Cracker, which was a youth project in this country where loads of young people in, from churches got involved. And, and then we created uh, money which we worked in partnership with mission agencies around the world in and I went out to Bangkok one year to make a video uh, uh, because we were funding various projects in the red light districts in Bangkok but one afternoon this changed my life I swear to you uh, they took me they said well would you like to come and see this old hospital that's shut down but it's where the city uh, leaves the orphans that no one wants you know, the girls that no one wants, because if a family had a girl before a boy, often, you know, in their poverty, they want to get rid of them, to be honest, because they needed the boy, the boy you know, there's no old age pension, etc. You need the men to work. That was the thought. You know, you'll understand all these things. I'm not st sticking up for any of it, but that's how it was. Anyway, they drove me in an old camper van, I remember, box, a Volkswagen camper van to this hospital which was built for 500 patients. And as I went in, they said, there are 1,500 children here. And we walked around these wards and there were children laying three to a bed. I might even tell the story in the lost message of Jesus. I'm not sure uh, now, but they were laying across a bed and you get a baby and you get a five-year-old and a nine-year-old and they'd all be laying horizontally across these beds. And there were very few staff and these children had no personal attention. And I walked through ward after ward and the beds were soaked with urine and, and, and it was just terrible. And I went into this ward, Beth, I went into this ward and I sat and there was this kid who was sat up on a bed with a baby uh, be beside him. And there was another child there asleep. But he was sat up and he was rocking backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards incessantly. I'm sure you've seen this kind of thing. And I've been told not to touch these children. But I but I sat on perched on the bed as well. And I began to stroke him. I began to stroke him and he couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand him. But he was he wasn't saying anything anyway. So I just stroked him, just stroked him.
just stroked him and slowly he began he began to stop rocking and he came to a point of stillness and peace and i continued to stroke him but then i was told we had to go and there was nothing i could do and i got up and i left that ward and i looked back through the little glass window and i began i watched as he began rocking again and the rocking got stronger and the truth is i walked out into the car park and i sat in that camper van and i said to god i can't live anymore i just can't carry on how i, I you know even when i think about it now how can i carry on my, with my life and this stupid theology i've got that wants to get everyone to heaven and wants to condemn this kid to hell because he's not heard the good news it doesn't make any sense to me at all I, it was the biggest threat to me in abandoning my faith i have to tell you it just like i didn't want to even live anymore I couldn't bear being alive. I prayed that God would just end my life. It seems so unfair that I should return to the UK and continue living. And I think out of all of that, Beth, we probably take now too much time telling you this story. But I thought to myself, I have to rethink all of this theology for myself because either I don't trust this book as I think, as I was used to referring to the Bible, I now see it as a library and a book of different texts. But either I don't trust this book at all, or I have to find some deeper truth within it. And that's what led me to the research that produced in the end the lost message of Jesus and has produced the responses that we've had ever since. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. It's, um, I think, yeah, I hear you. I think it's, I think it's that real desire that this needs to not sit in the book, doesn't it? it needs to, yeah. We, yeah. we need to make sure that this, this we're doing what we're, what this salvation thing is yeah um, yeah so you, you you campaign on a whole lot of issues you've been in the news this weekend um as this this continues to be your life's work and that as a boy has changed your life and many others since then um i wonder uh if there's a particular issue or a particular particular story particular thing that you would want your preach the preachers that are listening to this this week to be reflecting on and um yeah, just bring mm. out um, perhaps hearing particularly. Yeah, well, I think this is such an amazing opportunity, Beth, for the church. You know, all this, you know, don't waste a good crisis stuff. And uh, you know, we've got to re not just reopen, we've got to reimagine and reset. And then, you know, all of this talk about leveling up that goes on and creating a level playing field and equality of, of access. I mean, the church, honestly, is is has, in my view, such an enormous opportunity. And I don't say that as some kind of Baptist preacher who would say that anyway. My job is working with government departments. Um, later today, I will engage with the Ministry of Justice. Um, I will talk to the Department for Education. Um, I later today, I'm going to appear on various news shows and you know radio things i'm going to do in a uh, an interview for a national newspaper now i'm not saying to you oh i do those things what i'm saying to you this is where the fight is and the and this gospel this good news we have is 
really relevant to what's going on in, in across our country, our nations at the mm. moment. And it's, it's, you know, just just one little example. I work a lot with the health service. There's a thing called an ICS. It's an integrated care system. I don't know if that makes any sense to you or anyone listening, but there are integrated care systems right across the country. I Why am I boring you with that? But um, I mean, this is just off the top of my head. An integrated care system is the NHS's uh, recognition that 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 twenty percent, as they would say, of our health, my health, your health, Beth, our health together, is determined by our engagement with the NHS, i.e., GPs and the hospital. You know, uh, primary care and acute care. And and if we've got good primary care good GPs and we got good hospital nearby that can help us, then that's 20% of our health covered. But the NHS themselves say that 80% of our health has got nothing whatsoever to do with the health system at all. In fact, the bosses of the NHS, with whom I work some of the time, some of the bosses, and I, I do quite a lot of um, uh, teaching and guidance for NHS leaders across the country, they would say that 80% of our health is to do with what they call the wider, uh, wider determinants of health. 80% of our health has to do with where we live, our housing stock, our community, our environment, our family relationships, our wider community relationships. It has to do with our health habits, you know, like sex and drink and smoking and exercise and diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the NHS say, we, this is nothing to do with us. We're a sickness service that steps in when somebody needs it we don't actually run the health service of the country when we're two years ago because we're just coming up for the 73rd is it no it's two years three years ago 73rd i can't remember anniversary of the nhs on july the 5th this july the 5th so next week mm. um but um but two years ago uh, three years ago i was asked to speak to the nhs when they were 70. So all the leaders were there and, um, you know, people say, let's keep religion out of the rest of mainstream life. Honestly, if I could show you the picture, all of the NHS leaders were gathered uh, nationally. There'd been a service in uh, Westminster Abbey the day before on the 4th. And then they gathered in the morning for me to give a keynote speech. And it said, Reverend Steve Chalk, uh, keynote speech the next 70 years. And I talk to them or pose questions about the next 70 years. I'm saying to you, what I'm saying, Beth, is the local churches, if we can just reimagine and reset what we're, we're there for around this holistic gospel, this shalomic gospel, this good news at every level of every person's life in communities, we're ahead. What are ICSs? They are integrated care systems. The the health uh, um, uh, um, the health department's idea of of creating a joined up approach to health, but they're not working. So already they're talking about something called uh, PCNs, which uh, which is primary care networks, which is a, a more local group. But just yesterday, someone in the NHS was saying to me why that doesn't work because local health um, GPs don't like working together and you get competition. They were saying, who can supply integrated, holistic care down on the ground and listen to people? And they're a Christian. And they then went, ah, oh, Steve, you'd say that was the church. Yes. I, I don't know, Beth. You know, that's just one example. 
but we can all invest in that down mm -hmm. in our local communities and the opportunity is there and the nation is hungry to find out how to level up yeah yeah it is well, I was uh, at this point, I try and listen to my JPIC colleagues as expertise and advice about what we should be hearing in the political world and just the things that we might be missing or might uh, might be going on. And obviously, there's the big Matt Hancock story and all the questions that raises at the moment. Um, but um, without wanting to edge too quickly into party politics, um, it's also the deadline for people to apply into the EU settlement scheme this week. Um, and there's a big warning that there are quite a few minority ethnic groups with EU passports that are particularly likely to find themselves at risk of losing their le legal status as a result. So there is, um, we've got guidance on the JPIP website about that, but um, just to be aware of that. Um, um, and then both Houses of Parliament, um, once again, are going to have the debate around uh, cuts to the international development budget, but they won't have an opportunity to vote to overturn it. Um, there's lots of violence in the Brazilian Amazon at the moment uh, related to a gold rush, uh, which has led to already hard pressed indigenous groups facing violence. Um, in Hong Kong, the pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily was shut down last week and um, uh, one of their uh, journalist from the paper was arrested today. Um, the Resolution Foundation, which is a poverty think tank, are worried about the scaling back of furlough, thinking that it's too soon and it's going to push people into further poverty. Um, and in church news, um, Methodist Conference meets this week um, and is looking at proposals that will allow same-sex marriages. So mm -hmm. there's lots going on both within the world and within the churches. Um, so uh, lots of stuff in there. So yeah. we always... Um, We've opened our metaphorical newspapers. Uh, as Spurgeon would say, let's open our Bible in our other hand, prepare our sermons. So our readings for the lectionary for this week are 2 Samuel 5, David making a covenant to become king. Mark 6, uh, Jesus prophets in their own land and then sending people out. Um, and then 2 Corinthians 12, which is a ref uh, reflections on weakness and strength. Steve, I, I wonder, um, uh, where would you where would you begin in these which which passage would jump out for you is there a particular thing that you, you know what? i read i read them all beth and i think that all three of them are just absolutely fantastic passages that really i do you know the the two samuel passage uh of course is is, is as you say about uh appointed david as king and then he begins to accumulate wealth and and you know build his palaces etc etc and you've got to read it in the context of one samuel i think it's one samuel chapter eight which is where the people go to samuel the prophet in the first place and say well we don't like your sons nepotism doesn't work very well so we need a king just like all the other countries and nations have got kings we need this king and then samuel warns them against this and then you know in prayer has this conversation with god um, about all of this about the fact that when you place power in the hands of a monarch what slowly happens is that you lose democracy you lose voice and you end up um you end up in a poorer place and and uh, and in 1 Samuel 8 uh, you know Samuel and God <laughs> it says agree that that, that the, the Israelite people should go ahead with their their plan to get a king but you know warn them that in the end they're going to plead for a, a different way forward and so you know this kind of the problem is with David, isn't it, is he begins as, you know, the shepherd boy, 
you know he begins with the people he has the voice of the people he knows them he's involved in the battle and he slowly retires from all of that and builds you know builds himself this palace i've had the opportunity to go to jerusalem and see where his palace was and and the house of uh, Bathsheba just below that you know so when so instead of being involved in state affairs he's just sat around and he's got time for an affair there you go a res <laughs> that resonates with what's going on uh, this weekend isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah your mind's on the job but the wrong job you know because you're not focused so you have to, I would say you have to lead from within you have to leave from within. And, you know, that is why PCNs and all the rest of it, the ICSs are struggling, you know, are struggling because what you need is a local leader. So I'm one of the uh, ministers of uh, Oasis uh, Church in Waterloo, which is a Baptist church. And, um, uh, you know, um, uh, myself and Nathan Jones is the other minister. We've got much bigger staff and they can't all live in the area because, you know, the, uh, because of house prices and things like like that. You're either shockingly rich to live, live where we are or shockingly poor. You know, there's no middle class. But but what we have is this thing like you know you walk with the people every pastor knows this you walk with the people you shop in the same places you 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 know if I go shopping or, or whatever it takes hours because of all the people that I stop and talk to and just yesterday I was stopped and people talking about their housing issues etc etc and I'm involved with the local council we're speaking up for them that is the genius of the church you know leading from within and that's what David forgot so he thought you could lead while you were sat on your throne in your palace and you easily get distracted and end up doing something else. I was I was looking at it and it's so interesting, isn't it? Because there's obviously like set up is like this whole sort of Saul is Saul's got it wrong, right? Can David get it right? Um mm. and 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 so there's this whole thing about Saul's had this power over the people, but here David's gonna be a shepherd and is it gonna be okay? And then immediately, and it's interesting, the lecturer edits out. Uh he immediately marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites. And it's just like immediately, like, there's this like, power conflict, um, you know, and there's this really bizarre bit that's edited out of here. And it's worth knowing, I think, if you're going to preach in the Old Testament passage, that it's um, there's this, like, chunk <laughs> that's just been taken out, yeah. um, which is all about... Um, you know whether the um, you know how the lame and the blind could protect the city or not, and then this whole thing about um, David. Then you know um, David saying, "Oh, this is why they say the bl blind and the lame will not enter the palace." And it's just like, like this is this is like yeah. as we would read now and kind of think, "Well, this is this is a bit dodgy." And then he goes on to tell us all about his uh, collection of wives and concubines, which is really quite an important status symbol for your king, but actually it's already it's already the passage is already sort of suggesting to us well we opened up the question of whether this was going to work yeah, yeah. Gonna work. Yeah. and um so i think um yeah i think that's really interesting yeah and therefore it links really well into the other two passages the two corinthians passage where paul is talking about in in my weakness i'm made strong and then you know the, the gospel from uh mark chapter six 
where Jesus isn't given recognition amongst the, you know, his, his own people. But this weakness theme comes through. You're best when you're weak and you're in the struggle. I always say, uh, well, as I said, um, uh, when I used to be the senior pastor of Oasis Church in Waterloo, now Nathan Jones is, and I'm his assistant type of thing. But Nathan himself tells me that when he first came to the church, um, he'd heard all these stories about me because I'm the leader of Oasis, which is a very large organization, of course, now. And um, he, he tells me, he says on the first Sunday he came, um, at the end, I was packing up all the chairs and um, you know sweeping up the floor. And he's, he's very kind. He says that's the moment he decided he was going to keep coming to the church. You say, well, of course, I'm totally unaware of this thing. But the reality is people often say to me, oh, Steve, you know, you're involved in leadership at all these you know, levels. Let me tell you, they're not half as fancy as any. Everyone thinks it's just all the struggle. But, but surely you're not at Oasis Church Waterloo every Sunday. And my answer is, well, uh, very occasionally I'm not there, but yeah, I'm, of course I'm there. Oh, well, are you preaching? I go, no, 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 I'm not preaching. And some, somebody yesterday morning, I wasn't preaching. I didn't take any part in the service except to um, hand people out sheets as they, uh, uh, as song sheets as they came out, because you can sing outside. And, and people all the time say to me, Beth, well, why do you still do that? And you're surely, and I do it because I know that is leadership mm. in we're made strong you've got to you've got to be you've got to be involved because i think the heart of this is you see going back to what you said about king saul saul had the power but david this shepherd boy had the influence mm. power and influence are different different things herod had the power but john the baptist had the influence mm. uh, uh, Pilate had the power over jesus but Jesus had the influence. In the Old Testament, Ahab had the power, but Elijah had the influence. And I think the church ends up being shoved into positions of power. And you can understand why a state church might, might edit the lectionary just slightly, can't you? Because you're in there with your robes, sitting as lords, etc., etc. You've made this compromise with power. And when you compromise with power, it always keeps you quiet. That's what I find in my life. And that's not some kind of big statement I'm making about others. I realize that in places where I have power, then I have to start thinking, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're in alliance with these people and those people. So I can't say this and I can't say that. But if you're not in power, it sets you free to have influence. I guess I really like I like the idea that um, if you don't have power, you have influence um, or you can have influence. Yes. I've heard this passage preached on this Corinthians passage preached on in a way that I have heard. And I don't think it was intentional that I heard it this way, but I've heard it being like, therefore, you shouldn't try and be powerful. You should try and remain weak, should accept your weakness. Weakness mm -hmm. is a really good thing. Um, and and the whole connection of bodies and weakness. And um, yeah. so the thing isn't in there about kind of a thorn was given to me in my flesh. So you should deny your flesh. You should be a bit tortured. You should, this is a, this is a godly way of being. Mm. And, um, you know, you should expect to be insulted and have hardships and swallow mm. it. And and I'm going to, I ask this question quite a lot, but I ask it because I think I have heard it a certain way. And I, 
always therefore wary when I'm preaching that I'm not heard this way, even if I miss almost something of the gospel. Um, because I think, I, I guess I worry that I would be telling women, perhaps especially, but not necessarily, people who have been injured and upset and yeah. insulted yeah. and had hardships given to them that it's okay accept it that's what godliness looks like you should expect that because um and just take it on the chin because this is what you know kind of this is what jesus wants for you <laughs> you know this is right. this is what holiness looks like paul's telling you to go and go and be a bit tortured in your flesh and actually what i want to say is no <laughs> no go claim go go find yeah. something secure yeah. and strength yeah. and healing yeah. and hope and you know and i guess um yeah. how, how do you how do we deal with this sort of passage in light of how maybe we've made it be heard? In yeah, no, I think that's a really good uh, point, Beth, and a, a really important corrective. So um, the reality is, I think, um, uh, well, if I talk about myself in the context of my, you know, the work I do uh, inside Oasis, but I hope for for the whole church you know that's what i'm really concerned about whether oasis survives or not i'm i often say now this is a little concern to me what what really matters is the kingdom of god <laughs> you know that's that's what it's about it's the church isn't it so so uh, you know at one level uh, you know even this morning i've been saying to we got a comms team i say we have to get back to people quickly the news the, you know the the, the storyline the news line the media moves fast it's no good responding oh in half an hour's time we would have lost that opportunity get on to it speak out we have to speak out so that's about not hiding your light under a bushel and all of that ultra oh we're just worms it's about it's about being out there and being involved and speaking up. It's just as you come to speak up, being unencumbered by, oh, we can't say that because these people will be upset. And I can't say the obvious truth here because I'll upset that person. You've got, we've got to be in the room. We've got to be bold. We've got to speak up. Don't hide your bushel under that your, your light under the stand. Let's stand up and, and speak up and speak up for those who have no voice. But we're best to do that when we're unencumbered by by um by the, the the liaisons which means that we have to not speak up a, a difficulty for me uh, you know i just relate these things uh, to my life um is is around education you see because people will say to me steve now they say to me steve you know we run 53 schools we um, employ thousands of people we have to toe the line you know if 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 gavin williamson the secretary of state says well we can't be really sure what we're going to do about exams for next year well we got we got to toe the line we we uh, provide housing for refugees and asylum seekers if um pretty patel says well we're thinking about um outsourcing you know our asylum seeker stuff so that it happens offshore do you know that's a news story this week it's a terrible news story we're thinking about offshoring asylum seekers and placing mm -hmm. them in africa do you know i mean it's crackers so so actually i was having a conversation in fact i had a drink with him last monday night um uh uh, a, a very senior civil servant who's responsible for um, asylum transformation 
in this country. So I invited out, out for a drink. We sat down and talked about it. Now, I've got to be in that conversation able to speak the truth. I've got to be in the conversations around education in this country, able to speak the truth as I see it, not, oh, actually, you know, we'd, we've got this deal with the Home Office to do these things, so I better keep quiet. We've got this deal and I don't want to upset Gavin Williamson because he might not, he might take away the next school that is becoming part of Oasis from us in retaliation. It's about being in the room and speaking up fearlessly about truth I also think it's about being together as a team, isn't it? Because I'm not claiming to be an oracle on anything. We need one another, which is why we need this kind of debate all of the time in the church. So that when we speak, we're speaking as a team together. Mm. I think one of the gifts of church when we get it right is that um, we don't speak for, we speak with. Because mm. we are we are the refugees and yeah. we are the... Um, I don't know, the, the women who've been abused, the, the kids who haven't had access to good enough uh, education. Yeah. Um, you know, we are all of those. We are all of those. We're not separate from it. It's not something other to us. It's us. And so it's we can speak. in, yeah. And therefore, when we speak to power, perhaps yeah. in other places, yeah. power, like we don't have power in our churches. But, you know, um, when we speak to power outside of the church, then we're in this place of being able to speak with the withness of everybody else. That we're yeah. not doing it for another yeah. and we're yeah. not bothering somebody we're saying no no we've we've heard this voice within ourselves and we we want you to you know we want you to yeah. hear it yeah. um and and it's not this is not somebody who's not us actually this yeah. is yeah. Us. So some of us have have you know a bit yeah. more privilege and we can use it yeah. um but we use it to lift up the voice within the church community yeah 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 no absolutely we're only bit players aren't we all of us you know we, our, our task is to do what we do whilst we do it which is why these principles that arise out of these three passages are so important to lead from within to be on the ground to know people mm -hmm. and, and and to lead with to do things with people not to them or for them if you we do things for them we disempower them um if we you know to, if we do things to people well we leave them broken so we work with people and we lead from within and that's what david um forgot as the years went went by i think paul um he was leading from within wasn't he you know i i i, I stick up for Paul all the time. I think he was an amazing revolutionary. I've written a book called The Lost Message of Paul. Um, and again, that was driven, Beth, by the fact that, you know, there's all these statements, aren't there? You know, I prefer women to keep quiet and et cetera, et cetera. And again, I have to think, well, as Paul wrote, you know, you know, knocking on for half of the New Testament, it like, I, you know, I can't, I, I have a friend and um, she read theology at Oxford and um, I announced that I was going to preach a series of sermons about Paul in our church. And she's highly intelligent, much more intelligent than me. And she said, whatever you say, Steve, I will never change my mind. Paul is just a misogynist. <laughs> you know, kind of like, well, so, but you see, I'm in this place, Beth, where if I believe, if I, I have to deal with that. Do you, do you see, like, like, 
what drives me is the inclusion of everyone. You know, Genesis chapter one, the first page is every man, every woman is made in the image of God. This is a revolution, isn't it? That the world still not has come to terms with. So as I believe that at the core, if Paul doesn't fit with that, what am I going to do with him? You know, I can't. So this drives me to think about all of these issues. And of course, Paul was a, a first century um, a Jewish thinker. Uh, writing in Greek, uh, he wasn't a 21st century, you know, uh, post-feminist thinker or whatever. So he is a man in his time. And that's why I think, by the way, understanding the Bible is a collection of books, a library, and it's, there's a progression, isn't there? We say, I believe what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says quite a lot of different things about different things at different times, because some of it was written in the Middle Bronze Age, and some of it was written after the Middle Bronze Age, and Jesus himself disagrees with what was written in the Bronze Age about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which wasn't actually Moses' idea. It comes, of course, out of Babylonian empires um, at, the, at the Code of Hammer rabbi who was the king of uh, Babylon the superpower 500 years before Moses lived in fact off the point you can go see the code of Hammurabi um, in Paris when we're allowed to go there um, the Louvre gallery you see this tablet of stone with the laws of Babylon on and 500 years before Moses an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth a bruise for a bruise a bone for a bone so you see slowly moral consciousness is rising and 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 Moses gets hold of this and he carries it forward and creates a new equality that Hammurabi didn't have. But Jesus dismisses it altogether and he says, that's just the law of retaliation. We're about restoration and forgiveness now. You've heard it said all these things, but I'm telling you, pray for those who are against you, etc., etc. So we see this rise slowly through scripture and this trajectory onwards because, for instance, uh, scripture doesn't deliver the, the, the knockout blow on slavery that we long for for it too, or the knockout blow that on those who want to keep women out of leadership, etc. But I did this work understanding Paul in his context about driving this whole thing forward. And I think when he talks about weakness, he's he's not saying be weak, be weak. He's he's just saying I am weak. I am weak. I've spent my whole life ever since I encountered traveling endless miles about 10,000 miles actually I've been shipwrecked and beaten up and I've been in prison I'm knocked back and I'm not back I am weak but I'm relentless about this because this justice here and now in this life matters so much this is the good news so before we finish the gospel we'll uh, just kind of dwell in it for a, for a few minutes and then we'll we'll sign off and um let everybody go and actually prepare their sermons and <laughs> um i um i was thinking it's really one of there's lots of things in here i think are uh, rich i just think the gospel passage this week is the one i think mm -hmm. that will help me to preach on it um i think it's interesting that jesus is introduced as the son of mary mm -hmm. we very rarely get women names and the idea that your primary relationship would be with your mother and not your father suggests that um it's potentially a slur actually on jesus isn't it that he doesn't have a there seems to be no father in the picture what's going on there there's a kind of a question um and similarly with the carpenter language that kind of like we we know you 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 meant you're not meant to be this if you left your economic status and your mother and gone off and done something else there's this kind of real opening up of Jesus's weakness isn't it this is kind of um which is then the conversation that 
happens you know people are scandalized by him is the the word took offense you know it's scandalized people are scandalized by this because you know he's this carpenter he's this um you know he's only got mum and a load of siblings by the looks of it and and he's like you know actually what's going on here and um and there's this honour is like a finite thing as well. So how dare you take more honour than is yours? You shouldn't have any honour because you are this. And there's Jesus going, well, there's no profit without honour. Now, I think as preachers, um, we could be tempted to see ourselves as the, the prophets. I, I say this. I could be tempted to see myself as the prophet. <laughs> I'm the prophet. And maybe if you're going, you know, preaching in an environment that is super familiar or homely to you, then that can feel like... Mm, we're not really getting this message across um or there's not a space to do this in the same way as if I was a visiting preacher somewhere else or something but um but actually I, I'm kind of reminded that I'm probably the hometown right like I'm probably not I'm not the prophet it's Jesus as the prophet and actually I'm probably the person that's sort of saying oh well I don't know honor is a finite thing and maybe you know actually uh how do we receive this is this a bit scandalous to me and and actually I think um yeah, so I kind of want to play with, I'd want to play with some of that in there. Um, yeah. I, think I, was I, I, I think that's right, Beth. I think, you know, Jesus is the heretic, isn't he? Um, and uh, which, of course, is why he's put to death in the end. So, uh, uh, the uh, you know, the, the Jewish system, the, the priests, the, the official system sees him as a heretic. Mm -hmm. So when you when you've decided someone's a heretic, when you've decided someone is of no uh, value to you, your enemy, you find all sorts of ways at digging at them. Yeah, he hasn't really got a father. He's just a carpenter. He's not learned. He's not this. And we do it today, don't we? We always find ways of dismissing the person who has a different view to us rather than graciously listening to that and finding ways of, 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 working, of working with it. So I think there's... there's a great thing in there and then as i said jesus then sends out his disciples two by two well the extraordinary thing about this that i always think if you read luke's gospel on this uh, jesus sends out uh, yeah, two uh, these pairs of two six of them and um and then when they get back um if you because this occurs in it's in all the synoptics this story so it occurs in 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 matthew's gospel as well when they get back the fullest account is in matthew they get back and they sit down and jesus says, who, who do people say i am and they say oh you know some of them think you're elijah or john the baptist huh? what a great question from jesus you know he doesn't say who do you think i am it's like let's let's get into this when you were around in the towns who do people think you are i am and then who do you think I am? And of course, it's Peter who speaks up. It's always Peter, isn't it? It's not going to be Thomas. So Peter speaks up and says, I think you're the Messiah. Well done, says Jesus. And I've got to go and I've got to die. And then Peter goes, no, you can't die. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to kill people, etc." And so you realize then, Beth, Jesus has sent these couples out, these, these teams, two by two, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But when they get back, they have a big discussion and they still haven't got it about what the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is. They're totally confused. And it's Jesus willingness is back to what you said to to 
it's messy, isn't it? It's not neat and tidy. It's about giving people opportunity. It's about giving the other the opportunity. Oh, they're too young. They don't speak well. They don't do this well. We couldn't. But it's about encouraging them into leadership and sending them out. And in Luke's gospel, the wonderful thing, they all get back. The two by two has obviously been a bit of a disaster because none of them can actually explain who Jesus is and what his mission is. And then in Luke's gospel, it says, and then Jesus sent 72 others out. <laughs> you know, it's like he's relentless at giving away authority and including people and drawing them in. I found that I think I find that fascinating and such a challenge to me. I think um, with the Mark gospel, I think the two challenges that I really pull out of this, one is that um, he orders them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no mm. bread, um, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Mm. And I think I really, um, I, I find that really challenging. Where's the, where's the level of financial stability or not in being a, uh, and anybody who's an apostle, even if it's for a limited amount of time of being sent out, um, and where should we put, you know, I, I kind of want people to be financially supported. I think it's important yeah. Yeah. to have for people, but then I'm also like, where's the, where are we under two tunics? You know, what, what's the line here? Um, yeah. And and you're back to your questions about weakness then, aren't you? And, and et cetera, et cetera. What I would say just practically, and again, you know, these are lines I, I am involved in many times. Last week, I remember having a conversation about that. In the life of Oasis, so in my life, um, we have two kinds of jobs going. We have um, the jobs that have been created as we become a settled organisation. So in our in uh, education, for instance, or in our housing projects, you know, so a manager will leave and then there's a new manager's role for instance or a teacher will leave and there's a new teacher's role and there's a salary and there's a pension at, you know two tunics and all the rest of it you know and and a status and a title and a job description and uh, it's it's you know it's all it's all there um and uh, our hr team our people development team look after people and there's opportunities to continuously progress that's all that's great but then there are other jobs and that's the bit of oasis i'm involved in which is the frontier stuff you know frontier stuff where we're doing now <clears throat> i won't bore you with all the things we're kind of working on which are all about justice but there's some big things we've got going and none of the money's certain none of the money's certain and there isn't that nothing is certain about this group of people i'm working with i mean just i'm going to phone a guy called martin uh, later on and he's coming he wants to come and work in oasis with me but he wants security at the same time he's fantastic and i have to say martin you come to the wrong bit of oasis you know we're not that established stuff we are the pioneers we're the frontier workers. Like, who knows if we succeed or whether we fail? We're just out there in our weakness having, having a go at it. And I do think that if churches are going to fulfill the role that they could fulfill in our society as we reset rather than just reemerge, there's going to have to be a lot of that going on. You know, so the, the, the church in Waterloo, which was called Christ Church in Upton, uh, Oasis Church. Now I went there. There were ten people in the congregation, and we, it was bankrupt. Um, uh, we, you know, the church has grown. We now employ forty staff. 
but but that sounds that sounds such a great story doesn't it but it isn't the story at all the story is of pain and weakness and no money and like oh will the money come by monday or won't it come by monday and will we all have jobs by the end of the month or won't we now people might that is the reality of pioneer work and it was pioneer work that jesus was 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 all about and i think yeah i think the other conversation in this by the challenge is the um this line around kind of faith and uh freedom and i think um because obviously there's a question like so jesus can't doesn't do doesn't do much except for laying hands on a few people and curing them because you know jesus is still free to <laughs> heal people even if they haven't got faith but um but there's also this bit where um they kind of shake the dust off your feet and um i remember reading a commentary on this uh last time i preached and i can't find it this time but last time i preached on this passage um that somebody said well the tradition was quite uh there was an old tradition of, of sh shaking your feet when you return back into the holy land um so that you didn't bring any of the tainted Un unholy soil mm. from the gentile kingdom in back into the you know this into the ho into holy land and so you had to shake the dust off your feet and that was a kind of really pious act done by really pious sort of people um but here jesus is completely recarving territory and it's not about um anything to do with where because seemingly they're going out um around the place um, and they're dealing with unclean spirits and all sorts of things. So they're clearly an unclean world. Um, but the idea that actually it's about um, if you're welcomed, then the place is made holy. And if you're not welcomed, then you shake that. That's when you shake the dust. And I think the idea that faith reshapes territory, that territory doesn't claim faith anymore, but that, you know, the kind of this role of 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 it, of when you when you meet welcome, when you meet kindness in that way that's that's the difference and the dust can be a testimony or not to that and so you either take the the dust of the blessing with you or you shake off the dust of an unwelcome kind of moment and I just think I think that's really fascinating to me like as like a line of where's the territorial lines drawn um yeah so that kind of that was the other yeah thing that really kind of made me wonder. yeah so that's so, uh, yeah so it's a fascinating idea to play with and and recognize that that actually works out practically all of the time doesn't it i think it's part and parcel of this moving forward and 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 pioneering and always walk walking with a welcoming spirit your, yourself mm -hmm. uh, but um you take the blows and you take the, the pushbacks and you take the rejections um and 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 yet you move on driven by this same vision um this same vision you know they 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 say I, this this may uh, be beth attached to what you've been talking about or not but um uh, the pioneers need settlers and settlers need pioneers the movement needs the institution and the institution needs the movement i'm a kind of pioneering person you know who i honestly i've lived my whole life in this kind of 
messy front line where I honestly, I honestly don't know whether the budget is coming from for net for for next week or next month. And I'm constantly in churches. I've been part of saying, let's do this, let's that. Well, it might all go wrong. Well, perhaps it will go wrong. But anyway, let's have a go because you know we're the so that messiness. And then if you are a pioneer you can get used to mm, i've got all these people on the board all the institutionalists all going oh you know sitting there and you can come to despise them and want to shake their dust off your feet you know kind of thing but actually in fact in actual fact what i've learned over the over the years is is that a pioneer you're 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 making new ground but actually you need the institution to 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 hold on to the gains that you've made and build on them and 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 and, and solidify them so that it doesn't all fall away again. So the pioneer or the if you like the movement person needs to have huge respect for the institutional guys, the guys who sit on that diagonal or whatever it is, you know. But the guys who are the the institution guys need huge respect for the pioneers because as sure as the pioneer will blow the whole thing up without you know those who we might want to or she might want to shake the dust off their feet of these people sometimes and move on to a better church where i'm not opposed in this way um at the same time um these people working in the who are more of the institutionists the settlers rather than the pioneers, they need to respect the pioneering that goes on because without that, the movement will die. And I think there's a, something of the capturing of the whole of that in the work of the church and individual churches as we move forward, um, because people like me will blow the church up and and those, those who I sometimes want to shake their dust off my feet of, uh, I know that they implode the church, but together, we do a better job. And I think it's the thing about the household, actually. I, I love the idea that you stay yeah. in a house, stay in a house. You enter yeah. a house, stay there, make the friendships, you know, yeah. be make in the one friends. place. And, and I think with both the pioneering institution yeah. yeah. thing um, and any campaigns work actually in politics life, I think there can be a tendency to see cause and um, on one person's pain and then to other the others. Yeah. And just, yeah. especially, I think, um, I... I I'm the institution person at the moment. And and I think the conversation I have a lot is people seeing institution as uh, a structure mm. and a thing and an object. And and I think it's easy to think that, isn't it? It's nice to think that. That's a much more comfortable thing to think than actually to think this is a group of people yes. with dynamics and work and ways of being and you know constitutions underpinning them. But but yes. actually they're they're people. These are people yeah. who we break bread with and share life with and yeah, yeah. hopefully love <laughs> at yeah, times, yeah. you know, but that they have marriages or not, yeah. or they have yeah, kids yeah. or not, or they've got a dog or not, you know, they, they've yeah, got yeah. lives, they've got stuff yeah, yeah. that they care about, yeah, they've got a yeah. hobby, you know, like, but it's easy to think of them as, oh, it's a structure. And yeah, so yeah. we're going to hate on it or, yeah. and I think when you're campaigning, it's so easy to do that because the, the hurt or the need or the whatever it is that drives you, and it must, you know, it has to happen, right? We need that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, they it say makes it, it makes it more. I wonder if it makes it. We make it more comfortable to see other people as, as not quite people, but structure. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. miss the idea that then we might actually be in some way complicit as well, because if they're structure and not people, then we're not at risk of becoming that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and we like to cast ourselves in the role of the hero rather than part of the team. But as they say, you know, you know that famous saying: if you wanna, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. Really, you know. And and the older I've got, the real, the more I realise that's that's absolutely true. One of the strange things about my life: it was at my fortieth birthday that we actually had an Oasis board meeting, and for the first time, someone said, "Well, what would happen to Oasis if you die tonight?" if you get run over by a bus it's always a bus that's through the years you know <laughs> if you get run over by a bus and we began doing some work uh, with the assistance of harvard business school about transition and succession etc cetera, etc cetera. so i spent i spent a third of my life thinking about whether i'd be run over by a bus or not <laughs> you know, and what would happen but that whole process uh it, 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 you're exactly right you know it's as i said earlier we're all we all bring our part to play you know we're big players we bring our part to play that it's and if you see can see yourself as part of this team which is strong in its diversity um that's wonderful i think even you know uh to, the, the Bible, you know, as I've said a, a couple of times now, I see the Bible as a library. It's a collection of books. It's not a book that that why is that important? Because it's a collection of books with different opinions written by different people in different times. Um, even if you read uh, accounts of the same events in 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 Kings and Chronicles, for instance, that's completely different interpretation of what's going on there. So this library of books that's been put together, um, it, it deliberately has different opinions. It clashes. You know, there are debates in it. Uh, Nehemiah does not believe that anyone should be in Jerusalem except pure pure israelites um isaiah believes that jerusalem should be a melting pot for all peoples jesus chooses to quote isaiah not nehemiah about the role of the temple etc etc so all of this debate is there now it leads you to one or two conclusions either as the canon through that huge process as people put it together and as it came together people had not read all the clashes in these texts which is a ridiculous view or these books these holy books these sacred books are there because they present different ideas and different opinions that move on and and the very essence of our biblical text itself calls us to this debate calls us this gracious conversation that's got to be ongoing throughout the church where we're listening to one another's opinions and not rejecting them where everybody's opinion even though we may not agree with it personally is important because it strengthens us as we move forward and it's on that note that we're going to have to wrap us up today because we're way over time. But it's been absolutely brilliant to have you, Steve. Thank you very much for uh, coming and bringing your diversity and your uh, challenge and your your really um, uh, hugely helpful stories. And I think um, it will be a challenge to our preachers this week to think about how we help use the church to be part of building a different way of being out of this particular crisis um so thank you thank you for your wisdom today and your time we really appreciate it um we're uh, we're going to go out with a blessing because uh, there are many people preparing sermons and leading churches and uh doing various things in the political world to try and make the world a better place so um let's pray 
this bit, I think you might recognise it. You quoted it earlier. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.